Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today is Steve Cadigan. Steve is the first HR leader of LinkedIn, credited for their crazy, great employee culture, and then they got acquired by Microsoft. But another fact about Steve is that he and I were co-workers back in the day doing M&A integration at Cisco, so don't go away. First up in tech news this week, a lot of you have heard about AB5, which was this gig economy bill in California that was meant to protect the gig workers. So companies like Uber and Lyft forcing those companies to make all of their drivers considered employees versus independent contractors so they could get benefits, et cetera. Uh, That is still being played out in the courts. But the side effect was that many other quote unquote gig economy or independent contractors were completely taken off guard. Folks like freelance journalists, writers, wedding photographers, who then had to bring in florists or other wedding vendors, that whole group was put into a bucket where it pretty much constrained them from being able to work. So as AB5 is still being fought in the courts, as companies like Uber and Lyft are still not sure of where they're going to be. Some have threatened to be shut down. There was a new bill quietly introduced. AB 2257 was passed and signed by Governor Newsom. And that really helps out most freelancers that were in those industries. So photographers, writers, actors, actresses, musicians, they are all now able to operate as they did before AB 5. And so we'll continue to stay on top of that. An interesting story about how COVID-19 has had to change the pattern of Google's artificial intelligence with Google Maps. So Google spent years and years perfecting data on traffic patterns, and they usually use a blend of, say, two to five years of historical data. Well, because of COVID-19, they flipped that model 180 degrees, and now they're looking at the most recent two to four weeks of data to be more accurate in predicting, say, your drive time or your commute time, because if it used to be a 50-minute commute, maybe now it's only a 30-minute commute. And so we'll continue to see how things get affected with COVID-19 and technology. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is my good friend, Steve Cadigan. Steve has had an over 30 plus year HR career in the Valley and beyond. Steve is really well known for being the first head of HR at LinkedIn during their phenomenal growth phase. And for the last decade, Steve has been transforming companies all around the world and helping them with their talent solutions. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, Keith. Great to see you. Thanks for having me, man. So one thing I should mention before we begin is Steve and I spent a lot of personal time together in the dot-com era when we were both doing M&A integration. I was doing IT and Steve was doing HR and that was just a real blast, Steve. 
It was some of my favorite career years, Keith. And that was before the dot-com bubble burst. And we thought there was going to be no end in sight to the incredible treasures that we were you know, working on uh, during that era. But clearly, you know, some of the great times for me were just we're in the trenches. We're going through some of the ch- most challenging organization changes for anyone in their career. You know, you get acquired. Do I have a job? You know, are they going to move me? Are they going to shut the business down? And do I, are they going to mess with my benefits and things like that? And uh, yeah, we had some we've got some great stories. I'm sure we could tell. Right, Keith? Yeah, I want to do a whole show sometime on just those stories. And they're all great stories. And I know we reminisce a lot on the Cisco Facebook alumni group, but those were a great time, Steve. So thanks to you and the entire HR team and all the other compatriots we had. Phenomenal run. Uh, I know that for the three years I was officially in just that role before doing something else at Cisco, there were 52 acquisitions in that time. 36 months. That's right. I know. I I can't believe it. Like how we did that. I remember writing a report saying this year we set a record for, in one year we did Remember this, we did 26 deals in one year and we did seven at the same time at one point. Well, it was doing seven like, at the same like a, time. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. It was like a gold rush. And, and while we were doing it, Keith, do you remember we were still having to hire teams to work with us because it was always about scale, do more, do more, do more. And we couldn't be everywhere. So we had to, while we were learning how to do it, train people on how to do it while we're learning, which was really incredibly challenging. And I think to bring to that point, it was such a challenging time but it was a great time drinking out of the fire hose. We used to refer to things in dog years. And why I wanted to really stick on this point is that then the dot-com crash happened. And at the time, although we did a major layoff and it really broke a lot of our hearts for sure, it really did still leave an imprint that at that time, Cisco was still doing the right thing. I remember the package that was offered and comparing that to some of the things I'm hearing about the industry today, um, it was still done very humanely. And that was something I really appreciated also. Yeah, at the end of the day, uh, that group of people that we worked with, uh, my Cisco colleagues are still some of the best, the best network I've had. I was brokenhearted when I left the company in, I think it was 2002 or 2004, uh, no, 2002. And I was just so sad to leave. But to this day, I still have many great friends. And I think it's a tribute to the organization culture and the kind of people they wanted to hire. Um, and we were real pioneers at the time. And I, it's, it's interesting, you, you mentioned the staff reductions and we're seeing because of the pandemic right now when we're recording this enormous turmoil and change for every organization to go through. And do you remember what John Chambers, CEO at the time said? He said, when we hit that dot-com bubble, he says, you know, we are now gonna find out what we're really made of as a company because we've never faced hard times before. And you know, being on the HR team, Keith, I don't know if you remember this, but we had never done leadership training at Cisco because we went from nothing to the most valuable company in the world faster than anyone. And we, oh, for we a almost, week there, we almost the hit one trillion in <laughs> the yeah. We were the most valuable company in the world, and we'd never done any leadership training. And so that was pretty interesting. But as a tribute to great people, great products, you know, great team, and we got we got a lot done. Yeah. So that's great. And that's why I really wanted you to be on the show today, because I think we're going through another massive shift. I think we've had at least, this is the third one since the dot-com era, dot-com 2008 financial crisis. And now we have this one. And in your role, seeing industry and being in the trenches, and now you've been helping companies develop their whole strategy and framework around talent. What are some of the things you're seeing with some of your advice that you could give Sure. Well, the biggest challenge that I hear from leaders around the world 
is, is actually is very similar from one geography to the next. I can't find the people with the skills I need fast enough. And when I do, I can't keep them as long as I want to keep them. And we've got this real incredible uh, shift in the demographics of workers, particularly knowledge workers, and especially technical talent in the United States, where they are not staying in companies very long. And overall in the US right now, the average tenure for any age is 4.8 years. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's come down every year that they've been measuring this. But for people between the ages of 25 and 35, the median length of employment in a company today is 2.8 years. And that's just, think about that. If you're built a company with a framework of come here and we want to keep you and retain you and engagement's really important to us, you know, it's not happening. It's that, that goal is not being realized for a young generation of workers. And so the question then becomes, well, what, what's driving that? And the first reaction I hear when I ask CEOs, hey, why are people leaving your company? They just want to pound on the millennials. Like, oh, these short attention span, sugar high, want a promotion tomorrow, <laughs> even though they just figured out, you know, they how to finish their new higher orientation. They already asked me for a promotion. And my answer to that is, I think you're wrong. If we're blaming a generation, and first thing I say to these executives is, those are your children that you raised that are these millennials. That's number one. And number two, you can't tell me that 30, 40, 50 years ago, when you were starting your career, if you had infinite visibility to other choices and job opportunities and all the knowledge of what a great place it is or what a poor place it is to work, you can't tell me you'd still be in the same place 20 years later. It just the, the dynamics of choice are different. And so we still haven't reconciled the reality of the fact that the marketplace is more visible and open to employees than ever before with this notion of companies are like, oh yeah, we still want to keep you as long as possible. And it does, it's not working. And so I've, I've been rewarded as an HR executive my whole life on what's the turnover, keep it low, make sure you've got retain your high your top employees. But every HR executive I speak to and every business leader I speak to when asked, do you think that we're going to be able to keep people longer in the future or they're going to leave sooner? And the answer is they're going to leave sooner. So the question then becomes, and I think this is the biggest future of work challenge, is are we going to continue to fight to keep people longer or are we going to accept that we might not win that war? So let's build a new model akin to, let's say, the consulting industry. I know you've had some um, experience in the consulting industry. I love the consulting industry as a model for today in that they've generally built a model that says, come here and then please leave. <laughs> We're going to, and the better job you get after working for us, the better we look, the better you look. So we want you to leave. And by the way, the consulting industry makes more money when they have younger associates that they can bill more for. <laughs> the more senior you are, the more the consulting industry has to pay you. So they have a, a, a profit model that rewards them wanting to move you out after you've been there three, four, five years. And so I'm trying to go around the world and help leaders see there's other ways of creating value and being, building a successful company without having to keep people for a long time. That may be a battle that you're not always going to win. I'm not saying don't fight it, but I'm going to say you're going to keep shooting yourself in the foot if every benefit you have, how much vacation, retirement match, you know, your 401k, whatever that is, it's all based on tenure. Maybe you take some of that money and do something different. And maybe you build a different model where it's a two-year contract or something, or it's an internship for a couple of years. And then we will help you get another job somewhere else. This is such a great point, And we'll touch on more when we get back. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. 
I'm your host, Keith Q. Special guest is my good friend, Steve Cadigan, first head of HR at LinkedIn. And you can tell that we're both really passionate about how do we empower the next generation workforce. Any questions or comments or how to get a hold of Steve, just email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My special guest today is my good friend, Steve Cadigan. Steve is very well known for being the first head of HR at LinkedIn, but he's had an entire career around that. Both before that, we were both at Cisco Systems doing M&A integration. And after, for the last decade, Steve's been helping companies transform their talent solutions. Welcome back, Steve. Thanks, Keith. Good to be here. So, Steve, a quick question for you, since you're really well known about building the culture at LinkedIn at a time where this was kind of the next renaissance of companies post.com bubble. What is your advice given the current environment? And, and we're seeing a sea change of just company culture right now, a lot of it caused by the pandemic. What is your advice on how to deal with the new realities? Well, I think the, the best question that I could uh, recommend to the audience to ask yourselves is, you know, cu- culture, I think, today needs to be your competitive advantage. Every company can say, we're a great place, we make great products, we've got a lot of nice people, and, and you know, we're going to make a lot of money. But what's different about you, and why does someone want to work here? And what's been particularly interesting for me during this whole, you know, pandemic is that every company's culture has changed. And so my advice is, you know, the way we used to work is not the way we're working now. How we're communicating, how we're organizing, how we're sharing information, the hours that we're working, the times for overlapping or not overlapping, it's all changing. And so my my strong encouragement is to step back and appreciate this is not the way things have always been. And we have to interact with each other differently. We've got to check in with each other a little more personally. I think leaders do. And whatever your cadence of communication was, if you, I'm going to talk to my team once a week or I'm going to have a, a staff meeting every three weeks, I would double it or even triple it. Wow. And I would want to be surveying my talent more. You know, are you as productive as you can be? What can we do differently? Because we're, we're in a new frontier now trying to build a new way of working more effectively together. And everyone's not on the same page. Uh, you know, someone's got a toddler at home or someone who's got kids learning school at home and they don't know how to log into the internet, they're going to need your attention, you know? So you're not as available as you might've been before when they're away at school and someone else is dealing with it. So we've got to be sensitive to a whole bunch of new issues. Great. And that's a great response. And I wanted to follow up then since we touched on it in the last segment, you know, we were, we were kind of tongue in cheek about millennials and how they're dealing with the pandemic and how they're doing with interaction and, and the, in the workforce and some of the expectations they have. And we, we talked about how more seasoned people and mature people in their careers have to learn how to deal with millennials. We are now on the Gen Z, believe it or not. I know. I know. Yeah. And you know, the first thing, when I hear generational categorizations, my skin does crawl a little bit. Like I don't like being boxed into, well, you're a baby boomer. So you are like this. Like I'm still the rebellious teenager. Like, no, no one's like me. I'm so different than everybody. And so I don't like to to box everyone into one lump. Uh, and I don't think anyone likes that either. But there are definitely, you know, tendencies to be mindful of, which which are transcending, like, let's just take the millennials. A lot of people say these people, you know, short attention span, they want more. 
Well, I think they're infecting the workforce. I think the workforce wants what they have. Like, I think what people, when they look at millennials with a little bit of angst, it's because they're jealous. They have so much choice and they want a faster career track. Who doesn't want a faster career track? But we weren't given that opportunity. So, you know, when we look at the the newer generations that are coming to the workforce, there's a little bit of animosity because we didn't have some of the advantages that they have. But we do have to find harmony. And I do think that COVID presents an opportunity for different generations to present, you know, to deal with a, something very difficult together. So, Keith, you and I are really good friends because we went through some really challenging acquisitions where yeah. emotions were really high and tensions are really high. And that bonded us because we had to go through some tough stuff together. Now, everyone's having to do that. And my hope is that there's some relationship equity that's built for teams and organizations as they all go through some really tough stuff. And we're getting window into the personal lives of our colleagues and the home decor of our colleagues, unlike ever before, thanks to how we have to work together. And I think long-term, I think that's going to, that's going to benefit all of us. That's a great point. And I I think some of the things we talked about um, off microphone were some of the innovative ways that companies are addressing how to connect with each other. Uh, I've heard stories for myself of doing costume events via video conference and then having themes around those events as well. And then for people who are getting too challenged on video conference, there are things that you're suggesting like taking a break completely, do phone calls as meetings instead of video meetings so that you lessen the burden of feeling that you always have to be on. That's right. And I think we need to be intentional experimenters right now. One organization that that I know tried some online gaming inside their enterprise with their employees, and they found that people were connecting who didn't know each other. They're having fun. You know, humor is the ultimate depressurizer and de-stressor. And I think we need to find ways to do that. I, I love the, you know, goofy happy hours or office hours or everyone, you know, wears a dress or bring your pet to the Zoom call. Uh, One of my uh, friends back in the LinkedIn days, this is before the whole pandemic, but he was getting so tired of email, just like a lot of us are getting tired of Zoom. He sent out an email one day called, I declare email bankruptcy. I've lost all my emails. And if so, if you sent me something important the last three weeks, you can call me. (laughs) And it was just awesome. So basically, if you'd send him an email, he's telling you, I'm not reading it and send me something. So I think we're close to people declaring Zoom bankruptcy. And I strongly recommend you know, mix it up, you know, and, and I think we're going to get tired of the same forums. So use a little bit of phone, you know, use some video when you can be thoughtful about what part of the day you want to do that, you know, um, and then, you know, be mindful of when your Wi-Fi bandwidth is going to be stretched. Like I'm negotiating with my teenage kids for Wi-Fi bandwidth to do this session with you today, because I'm like, Hey, no gaming because <laughs> daddy's on a really important <laughs> podcast right now. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm. Now that we have our first couple of weeks back at school, I'm checking our bandwidth as well, and I know exactly what you're talking about. So, Steve, yeah. you have so much wisdom. You've been doing your own consulting for ten years. You should be wrapping this up in some type of thought leadership thing. Are you working on any projects that you can impart this wisdom to the masses? Yeah, thanks, Keith. You know, I uh, a lot of my time the last few years has been I've been invited to universities, schools and conferences around the world to share some of the insights. In fact, Cisco had me last year at their Cisco Connect event, and I got to speak to thousands of people around the future of work. And so I got really, I got grown really weary of having someone come up to me afterward and say, hey, where's your book? And I point to my head saying, it's right here. 
Uh, and I'm proud to say that uh, two weeks ago, I completed my first book on the future work. And it includes a lot of the, the concept that we've talked about, which is trying to build a new model that's satisfying for employers and employees. Uh, I haven't set the come up with the final title for it yet. I'm playing around with some pretty provocative ones. But what I'm trying to do with that is really tell a different story than the robots are coming and your job is doomed or automation and AI is going to take over the world. Rather build a narrative around being humans never been more important. And here's how you can elevate your talents and become more valuable in an uncertain economy. So I've got a website, stevecadigan.com, if anyone wants to uh, come and say hi and see a lot of my stuff. But I'm hoping that, Keith, you'll have me back on around December, January, when I hope it's going to be done. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely have you back on. And uh, it's great that you're writing a book on the future of work. I'm definitely going to be the one of the first ones to buy it. Uh, Don't go away because we still have more of Steve for the rest of the show. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, Steve Cadigan, good friend, HR, rock star. Uh, We're talking about the future work already. Any questions or comments on how to get a hold of Steve? He gave the website, stevecadigan.com, but you can also just come send us an email, info at svm.biz, and you'll always find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. We'll be right back with more Steve. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have my good friend, Steve Cadigan of Steve Cadigan Ventures. Steve is a very well-known HR executive, first HR executive at LinkedIn, who is credited with creating their fantastic corporate culture. LinkedIn, of course, is now part of Microsoft. Steve has been talking a lot today about what's happening post-pandemic with how employees and employers can continue to operate in the new normal. On this week's cyber tip, I want to talk about cyber squatting and the increase in cyber squatting attacks. Now, a little bit different is although cyber squatting isn't itself an attack, it actually is attacking the end user, you. So what a cyber squat is, is really where you're used to going to wellsfargo.com, paypal.com, netflix.com. A lot of times, especially with how quickly we input in domain names, you might be off by a single character. You might do a Google search and you just pick what the first thing that pops up at you. That domain might not be the actual domain you really want to get to. And in fact, could be a domain purchased by a nefarious or bad actor who will try to then steal your personal information, steal your credentials. And so that is called cyber squatting. And cyber squatting actually has cousins. Uh, Things like homograph squatting, which is actually taking a domain and adding extra characters. There is sound squatting, which is where you think or hear of a domain that you're not aware of. There is bit squatting, which is where domains differ from one character from a legitimate domain. Again, that would be a very easy typo. There's level squatting, which is using domains that give the impression that they're owned by a legitimate company. And you often will see that in phishing where you're going to get an email and it clearly says it's something.microsoft.com. Well, the word before that dot makes it an illegitimate site in a lot of cases. And finally, there's combo squatting, which is where you take a legitimate 
name of a company and hyphenate it with another name, and that's going to make it something that you were not intending to get to. In all cases with cybersecurity, you need to take responsibility for your own safety, and that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Steve Cadigan. Steve is very well known for being the first head of HR at LinkedIn. He's had a 30-year career in HR. For the last decade, he's been helping companies transform their HR departments all around the globe. He's a keynote speaker. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, Keith. Glad to be here, man. So, Steve, on today's show, we've talked a lot about working in the new normal. You've given a lot of advice talked about how uh, intergenerational is something that is actually a way to help people work more and more together. Uh, what are your thoughts about how leaders can act differently or how they should be thinking about how to lead in the new normal? Well, if, if we go back to something we talked about earlier, Keith, which is we're all operating in a new domain, particularly in technical talent or with technical talent and knowledge workers, where the average length of time they stay in a company is shrinking. I, I think one of the ways that I think we need to pivot as leaders is we need to think about in how we engage with our talent beyond just the time they work for us. So for example, you know, someone matters the entirety of the time that you know them and the entirety of the time uh, that they're in your universe, not just the time they work for you. Because if they're leaving faster, maybe if you mentor them and coach them after they leave, they might come back. That might be a boomerang employee. Maybe they'll be a lead generation to you for new business opportunities. Maybe they'll create a partnership opportunity. I mean, remember in all the M&A deals we did, Keith, I mean, there were some people we acquired three, four, five times. And then when that model didn't work all the time, and some people just didn't want to work for a big company, and that's fine. But we wanted to, to leverage their knowledge and their talent, so we would spin them out in a, in a company and reacquire them. And then we knew that they wouldn't want to stay. So we would invest in them. And Mario Mazzola is one of the most notorious, um, you know, talents who I think we bought his company like four times yes. over the course of maybe more. But I, I think leaders are going to have to pivot a little bit and, and think differently around just, you know, hey, you matter to me when you're here to, you know, talent matters to me, whether it's here or it's not here. And if people are here, I know they're going to leave soon. So I need to be nurturing my funnel. So in a more fluid world to work. And the best example I could give you on the pivot is for college basketball fans is look what happened in college basketball the last 20 years. It went from students staying in school four years to the best people only staying for a year, in some cases, six months. And so coaches like Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke have got to build a world-class team every year with a new group of people right. and he's doing it. And so he's proving with a high turnover reality, which he's dealing with, with his best people leaving, that he can do it successfully. And he does it by saying, even if you don't make the NBA, if you came here, you're going to be okay because we'll get you a job as a coach, an analyst, an assistant or something. And that's just a, a completely different model. And Coach K was the biggest resistor of the one and done model. But look how successfully they've pivoted. So there's lessons there that I think leaders should start to take to heart to come up with different ways of relating to talent that I think are more akin to the realities of work today. I think that's a great insight. And I really like the example that times are changing. And I think using new, new normal as a new paradigm shift as a way to lead differently, being open that people are more fluid. And I like the example you gave in the last segment when we were talking about the consulting model being mm -hmm. potentially a really good model for some work environments that when you consciously know, and, and I'll, I'll make the comparison because 
Uh, just today, I was in the California Governor's Cyber Security Convening. We've been talking about apprenticeships. So this is the volunteer work that I do with the state. Mm-hmm. And this is something I'm really passionate about. So I'll just bring it up that when you don't require a four-year education, already a lot of Silicon Valley companies have gotten rid of the need to have a four-year education, and you level the playing field by making a program like technical apprenticeships being able to be used by many different diverse groups of people, then you then say, well, this apprenticeship could also mean that the person we're onboarding might only stick around a couple of years as they get on-the-job training, and that's okay because in some cases, these are not necessarily the employees that you have to have around in that role for more than two, three years. And then as they move up the career ladder, they're getting promotions, they're getting additional job responsibilities, that's fine. And then for those, back to the consulting model, if that's not the environment they wanna be in, it's okay that they leave. That's right. And I think that openness, I call it an, a talent enlightened agenda, which you just described, Keith. And I say they, the provocative recruiting slogan of the year is come join my company because I'm going to help you leave it. The truth is what we're really trying to help people is protect them from an uncertain future. And you can't promise job security today, but you can promise you'll make someone more immune from something out of their control. So I can't promise I'm going to keep you employed, Keith, but I'm going to make you employable. So if something happens here and some new Airbnb or Uber eats our company's lunch and I got to let you go, you know that I've made you better for tomorrow. And so, you know, if you leave, that's fine. Or if I have to let you go, it's fine because you've got more skills. And that's what I think we're fighting for in a world where the value of a skill has a shorter shelf life in our professional lives than ever before is we've got to keep showing people we're making them better. And that's the promise, not job security, the promise of being employable that I think leaders really need to double down on today. And I really love that you bring that example up. Uh, When Airbnb had their recent announcement of a layoff, they actually created a internal job board to help their employees find other jobs. Now, we spoke earlier in the show about how we were both at Cisco during the dot-com era, really loving the time where we were just acquiring companies left and right. And then that era stopped suddenly with the dot-com crash and how Cisco actually was given a lot of kudos for our our package and program to help um, employees that were transitioning out. But now we talk about Airbnb. And I remember you and I both made a comment on LinkedIn when we saw the announcement that they went even one step beyond that, which is, hey, we had to lay off our people. These are our best and our brightest. And we're actually actively helping them find jobs outside the company. Yeah, they turned their whole recruiting team into an outplacement team. They turned every employee and they built a, a system. It wasn't just here's the resumes. They built a job search system for every employee. So what happened was this is the beauty of a culture and the power of a culture's competitive advantage. The people who were leaving were more loyal to Airbnb after they were let go than before because it's in the tough times. They saw, whoa, this company's got my back. And I understand people are not renting Airbnbs now. You know, of course they have to let some people go. And I'm bummed that it's me, but man, what a great company. I would come back there in a heartbeat. And then you've got on the other side, all these other companies that are doing disastrous, you know, blind you know, Zoom calls with recorded messages from, from lawyers and people like, what is this Black Mirror episode, you know, that I'm in the part of? So I, I think that's a great story you bring up and a great role model where poster child of great leadership today is making people more loyal to you, even when you have to let them go. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, it does leave a lasting impression. Those employees are more loyal than you would think, especially given mm-hmm. the situation they're in. Uh, there was a term that's not as fashionable now, but in the beginning of covid there was a term called zumped and zump mm-hmm. meant either um, 
your boyfriend or girlfriend dumped you over Zoom, but also whether companies dumped you over Zoom. Uh, just as an anecdote, I actually got the Urban Dictionary definition. I'm the author of that. But it's still just funny that you mentioned that that's still happening right now. You'd think that companies would understand that that's not the best way to uh, sever a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I know this from doing this for years in HR people will remember that moment for the rest of their lives. And to be fair to all the organizations, they can't physically meet with everybody today to do it the way it should be done. But there are definitely ways that have higher integrity, that are more human. That's like treat people like you wanna be treated. And I think what everyone's so afraid of, when when you have to do a mass reduction, having had to do the 8,000 person reduction, I was on that team at Cisco when the dot-com bubble burst. And that was also contractors, not just regular employees. but. You're afraid of lawsuits. You're afraid to protect. You want to protect the company. So the tendency is to default to the safest thing for to legally protect us. And most of the time, the way that gets delivered tastes horribly in the mouth of people you're letting go. So you have to find a middle ground where you say, okay, lawyers, thank you for the advice. I don't care. I'm going to do it this way. And I'm willing to take that risk because I would never want to receive that script you gave me, which makes it look like I'm a robot and I don't care. And I do care. You know, and so this is the thing that, you know, people have to balance the risk. Like if every company was following every single law and you know, I, I, this is going to probably blow back on me with some lawyer that's listening on the call. But if every company was following every single law, I think they'd all be out of business. I mean, you got to show you're trying to do your best, you know, and I think it's not hard to do that. But don't if you over over listen to the gloom and doom from we're going to get sued. I think you're going to wind up with a pretty cut and dry, inhuman distasteful process. You know, you gotta, you gotta really put some, you know, thought into doing it the right way. Well, Steve, with that, I think that's great advice. You got to put some thought in doing it the right way. I love having you on the show today. Uh, I want you to come back, especially when your book launches on the future of work. I also don't want you to go away because when we get to the pivot in our final segment, we are going to talk about the future of work. So please come back anytime. Thanks, Keith. So great to see you. Thanks for having me. I look forward to coming back. So don't go away. Steve's going to come right back for the future of work. If you have any questions on how to get a hold of Steve, you can go to his website, stevecadigan.com, or just email us at info at svin.biz and find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today is my good friend, Steve Cadigan, first head of HR at LinkedIn and very well known globally and in the Valley for being a transformative HR leader. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, Keith. Good to see you again, man. So we covered a lot of ground today, reminiscing about our time at Cisco, your time at LinkedIn, what's going on with the pandemic in the new normal, both for people who are in transition, uh, people who I call the working wounded. So they're actually living day to day in the pandemic and trying to keep their home lives and their work lives together. In the last segment, we talked about leadership. I know you, we talked about how you're writing a book on the future of work. I kind of wanted to get a preview of that by you telling us now what your thoughts are on the future of work. Sure. Well, what I've tried to do in this book, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, is try to create a different conversation, a more relevant one for human beings, which is instead of all the gloom and doom around robots taking our jobs, how should we be thinking about our careers differently? And how should we be thinking about 
building organizations in a model where people aren't staying with us as long as they used to. And so I've broken the book into two parts. The first part is for employees and professionals. And the second part is for organizations. And I tell stories from my work experience and stories from organizations I've worked with and studied and read about to really help try to build a new contract between employers and employees that's really more based around some of these new realities which we've talked about on the show that people aren't staying as long so maybe for organizations for example maybe you should have an alumni strategy most companies that i've worked for have what i call the tony soprano school of hr strategy you quit you're dead to me it doesn't work today People can go to Glassdoor and talk about how horrible it was to work for you or how great it is. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? So I'm trying to you know, help leaders start to rethink instead of thinking about caring about someone just when they work for you, caring about them for the entirety of their career. Let's play for the long game because it's an unpredictable game and it's more authentic if we're talking about you and your career rather than you just when you're working for me. And so I'm trying to, you know, in, in both parts, help each party learn more about things that so that we can get out of this oh it's just the millennials that are a problem let's get beyond that conversation because it's not the right one and it's wow millennials have more choice than ever before what does that mean for us should we create maybe more choice for them to move around faster in our company and if we do maybe they'll stay longer that kind of conversation rather than we need to lock them down and you know give them stock so much stock would have it vest out three years so that they can't leave you know, that's the prisoner Tony Soprano school of HR doesn't work today. So I'm really, you know, I know that my book probably has a shelf life of about a year and a half or two years, and then I'm going to need to redo it because it's just changing that fast. Yeah. And I, Keith, I woke up in the middle of coronavirus, uh, you know, having put the last year of my life behind this book and I was in a cold sweat going, oh no, what if my book isn't relevant in a post COVID world, you know? And fortunately, I, I quickly realized after you know reading it again and again, no, 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 this book is even more valuable today because we just hit the fast forward button. It's about being agile. It's about, as I said earlier, the future work really is about the future of learning, which is really interesting. And the companies that are going to thrive in the future are the ones that can change faster than their competitors. Now, Jeff Weiner used to always say this at LinkedIn. Hey, yeah, we got a great strategy, but we're going to win based on how quickly we move when something shifts in the marketplace. And so what I'm trying to encourage organizations to understand is in a high fluid world of work where people are leaving faster, what you're also getting is new ideas, people with new ways of solving problems, lots of new energy and new insight. And if you take a look at some of the highest value technology companies today, Let's take Oracle, Uber, Snap, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, do you, and, and Apple. Do you know what the median tenure is in those companies? Two years. Wow. So, so there's something good's going on there in a high fluid environment that maybe we should look at more closely and tap. And so, my in my book, I try to address, you know, don't be afraid of that. There's there's things you can do like build an alumni strategy, like maybe frame work differently than you have to just be an accountant one, two, three, four. Maybe you're an accountant one and you're project manager two over on this team, and then you go work for the public relations group. Like those kinds of new experiences that give people more strength so they're more valuable tomorrow. So that's where I'm hoping to to go to elevate the conversation, something more meaningful around that than just the robots are coming quick run and get in the fetal position and get your antidepressant medication ready, you know? So Steve, I think that's great advice. I really enjoyed that you're tying it into that companies have this Tony Soprano mentality. I mean, you've been in it, I've been in, I've had a whole story that I'll talk about some other time about my first experience 
doing M&A when Wells Fargo did a hostile takeover of First Interstate Bank. And that was my very first experience um, wow. acquiring a company. And it did not go well. But there's, there's a punchline that I'll save for another day. Uh, thanks again for being here. I'm going to want to have you back on, especially to talk about when your book launches. So I look forward to having you back. Thanks, Keith. Always great to talk to you. It's been a great chance for us to catch up a little bit. And I look forward to seeing you again. And if you want to connect personally with Steve, go to his website, stevecadigan.com. You can always email us, info at svn.biz, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And we will see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 